Unfortunately, parents tend to shy away from this topic. They want to assume it won't happen to them. It won't happen to their kid. And that's a very dangerous approach. You need and deserve as a parent to have a good support system built around you. This is a topic that I don't want you to become paranoid about. I don't want you to become afraid of, but I don't want you to avoid either. Knowledge is power. Consciousness is always evolving and our present perception becomes our conscious reality. Is life happening for you or is it happening to you? A life of authenticity is a life of skillfully practicing your values. You are perfectly human and even when we stumble, we still stumble forward. If you seek truth and move in love, in your family. I invite you to have a seat at our table. You are listening to an authentic outlier, the nocturnal therapist himself, Harry Turner. Welcome to another episode of the Is That So Show. Again, thank you for showing up. We have a great one as usual. We have Mr. Richard Capriola. Two decades, two decades, he's been a, a licensed chemical dependency counselor. And again, he's an advocate to let people know, inform people about the detriment, the significant impact that substance abuse has on our nation and provide assistance and guidance as to how to how parents and, and people who are invested in the youth, how we can assist in alleviating this disease called addiction from our communities. And before I bring them up, I want to list a few factoids here. Alcohol, did y'all know that alcohol, marijuana, and tobacco are substances most commonly used by adolescents? I mean, it's like, duh, okay, yeah, we knew that, all right. So let's go with the next factoid. By 12th grade, about two-thirds of students have tried alcohol. Now, I know a lot of y'all are thinking right now, not my baby. It's your baby that's doing alcohol. Matter of fact, it's your baby that's buying alcohol and bringing it to the other kids. Just letting you know, that's your baby. All right, two-thirds, two-thirds. And again, I'm trying to make light of it, but this is definitely a, a heavy topic. So uh, alcohol is, is a depressant, and it can lead to so many other things. And traumas, so many traumas occur around alcoholism, you know, from assault to death. But yes, please, let's not let's not choose to be ignorant. Let's not choose to pretend like our child is any different than anybody else's child. We're all equal. About half of ninth through 12th grade students reported having used marijuana. About half. Ooh, okay. Okay. There's a lot of the sticky icky going around in high school. Half? Okay. I ain't know that many people smoking weed in high school. All right. About four in 10, 40%. So roughly 40% of ninth through 12th graders. Again, we talk about high school students. About 40% of high school students, ninth through 12th grade, reported having tried cigarettes. All right. It's going down. It's going down. But still, that's up there. That's a high percentage. Among 12th graders, close to 20% reported using prescription medicine without a prescription. And I'm going to wait till I bring my guest on to make any comment about that. But we'll, and we'll talk about the risk of substance use later. And, I, and I'll probably bring these facts back up so my guests can actually more appropriately address these. Of course, I have in my background, I've treated people with chemical dependency as well, uh, those suffering addictions of various sorts of, as well. But to have someone who specialized in licensed chemical dependency for two decades, his experience to the extent that he would transfer that information, that knowledge into a book that could assist others. I'm definitely going to leave the bulk of the talking for him. So without further ado, 
I would like to bring to the stage Mr. Richard Capriola. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me to the program, Harry. It's a pleasure to be here with you. One second. I got something for you. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yes, sir. <laughs> very welcome. You're very welcome. Welcome to the Is That So Show, sir. How you feel today? I feel great. I feel great. And again, thank you so much for inviting me to talk about this topic. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to just remove myself for just a moment. I'd like to take care of this on the front end. If you don't mind, I introduced you, but I would like for you to introduce yourself to the people if you don't mind. Yeah, I, uh, as you said, I have been in the mental health and uh, substance abuse issue for over two decades. Started out working at a regional mental health crisis center in central Illinois. And I noticed that a lot of the people that were coming to the crisis center from the emergency rooms had not only a mental health issue they were struggling with, uh, but also a substance abuse issue. So I went back to the University of Illinois and obtained a, a degree in, uh, in addiction counseling. And uh, then was offered a position in Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas. Menninger Clinic is a large psychiatric hospital that serves adolescents and adults from around the world. And I was offered a position to be an addictions counselor for adolescents and adults. And I worked there for a little over a decade. And so many times I would meet with parents and I would go through their child's history of using a substance. And when I finished and gave them the diagnosis of a substance use disorder, they would look across at me and they would say something like, I had no idea this was going on. Or if they did suspect their child was using a substance, they would say, I sort of knew something was going on, but I didn't know it was this bad. And these are good parents. These are good parents doing the best job that they can. They missed the warning signs because nobody told them what to look for. So when I left Menninger, I wanted to put this resource together. It's called The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. It runs about 100 pages because I know parents don't have a lot of time to read volumes of information. So I wanted to keep it brief, but pack into it a lot of information that hopefully parents will find to be a good resource, a knowledgeable base of information that will help them feel more confident about this topic, less afraid, and and, and more certain that if they're confronted with this issue, they feel better prepared to deal with it. So uh, that that was my motivation behind uh, writing the book. Is that so? Yeah. Is that so, sir? Is that yes, so? Yes, sir. Okay. That's so. That is so. so. <laughs> that is so. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're going to have a good time here. So I'm, I'm looking at some things, sir. And of course, you're a humble man, you know, which is a, a virtue. I see it. I can, I, can, I can sense that. I can sense that from you. But I definitely want to broach the topic of, you know, some of your triumphs. Because when I, you know, doing my little research, when I read about, you know, having never finished high school, you know, had two long and successful professional careers, despite having never finished high school and dropping out your, jun- your junior year, but eventually you went back. And so can, can you can you can you talk about that journey and maybe yeah. some of the triumphs that maybe can help people understand your passion? Yeah, I, I, I never went back to high school when I dropped out. I dropped out. I was done. Uh, yeah, right. I, was, I was just one of those kids. And, and I've met many of them in, in my counseling career with adolescents who just don't like high school for whatever reason. So I dropped out. I was working in a grocery store at the time. I continued to work in the grocery store and then went over to the community college and said, I want in. 
And the counselor looked at me and said, well, you really should go back and finish high school. And I said, nope, not going to happen. So he gave me a break. He said, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll let you in on probation for one semester. We'll see how you do. I said, great. So I came back after the end of the semester. I showed him my grades and he said, just keep on going. And by the time what would have been my high school graduating class graduated, I'd finished two years of college. <laughs> Wait a second. Wait a second. So you dropped out and immediately went to a community college and, and said, let me in? Yeah, well, it was, it was, let's see, I think I dropped out in the spring. I started in the community college the following, following January. Okay. Okay. Is so I, wor so I worked for a little mm -hmm. while uh, and then it just... I just went over to the community college and said I wanted to get in. Sir, I, I believe now is the appropriate time for me to state this, sir. George Bernard Shaw, he, and I quote him when he stated, the reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. Sir? You were quite unreasonable with that request. I was very but. unreasonable. I'm surprised they didn't <laughs> kick my butt out. But instead, I had a good counselor who saw something and said, I'm going to give this kid a chance. That is awesome, man. That is I'm not I'm not sure that happens these days, but you know, that was that was that was back in the sixties when maybe they were a little bit more open minded to a young man just coming in and saying they want to go to college. All right. So real quick, sir. The stats that I spoke about from earlier, and I'm going to jump back and forth, you know, uh, because there's some other triumphs. You didn't even go further in on some of your other story and and how you came about with this passion. Because, I, sir, I have pages, pages I printed out, pages I printed out. I was like, what? What's going on? And I'm seeing endorsements. And, of course, I'm seeing the Addicted Child, Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. And I got to say, it sounds Quite interesting. And I see that it can be found on in, in Amazon, right? On Amazon. The book's available on Amazon. It's also available through the book's website, which is www.helptheaddictedchild.com. Helptheaddictedchild.com. Mm -hmm. That website has endorsements and reviews. You can read a sample chapter. There's a link that'll take you to Amazon where you can buy the book in either a Kindle version or in a paperback version. There's also a, parent, a brief parent workbook that's available. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. And so talk to us, like, how do you, what is the guide for parents who are struggling, you know, who with an adolescent who's suffering from addictions? What is the, the message? How do you help this addicted child? Well, the message is, first of all, learn as much as you can about adolescent substance abuse. Knowledge is power. So the more that you know, uh, the, the less afraid of this you will be. But, but unfortunately, parents tend to shy away from this topic. They want to assume it won't happen to them. It won't happen to their kid. And that's a very dangerous approach. So it's much better, in my opinion, to uh, be informed, learn as much as you can. And if you're placed in a situation where you discover your child is using a substance, you have the information, you have a resource like my book that will guide you through this journey. The book itself talks about the various street drugs that are out there. Most parents know about alcohol and marijuana, but they may not know about some of the other street drugs that are out there. So, can you tell so us about some of them? 
Well, you know, there's there's LSD, you know, roughly, I think, uh, 4% of high school seniors are using LSD. 3% of high school students are using cocaine. About 2% 2 are using an Oxycontin. Around 2 to 4% are using a prescription drug like Ritalin and Adderall. Parents may not know what inhalants are that tend to be used at a very young preteen age. So I wanted them to, in the book, to get a very brief overview of what's out there on these street drugs. I put a chapter in on the neuroscience. I want parents to understand that the teen brain, the adolescent brain, is a brain that's in the process of developing. And it is important to protect that child's brain in alcohol, in drugs like marijuana and illicit, other illicit drugs. They can do real damage to, to a child to a child's brain. So I put a brief chapter in on neuroscience. I, I put a chapter in on assessments. You know, if you're a parent, you want to know, okay, what do I do? What kind of tests do I need? What kind of assessments do I need? You need more than just an addictions assessment. That's what I was doing. But you need more than that. So I put a chapter in that guides parents in terms of what type of tests and assessments should you get done. I put in a, uh, a section on what we call process disorders. Process di chemical disorders are the alcohol and drugs. Process disorders are behavioral disorders. Examples would be video gaming, uh, pornography, other examples would would be eating disorders and self-injury. Eating disorders and self-injuries can sometimes accompany a child using a substance. It may be doing both. So I put a chapter in to help parents understand that. Then there is a chapter on how do, how do I identify an evidence-based treatment program? What is a good treatment program look like? Mm -hmm. And what kind of questions should I ask a provider? So I put a chapter in on that. And then there's a chapter on, uh, on resources that are available for parents. So I packed all of that into a very short, concise book that I hope parents can read very quickly and, and walk away thinking, okay, okay, I understand this a little better than what I did before. And, and it'll be there if they need it. I definitely would like to place your book on my private practice website. I, this is my separate business from my private practice course, this is in the social influencing space, but I would love to put your book on my private practice website where I feature certain books. So I'll just take the, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the the Amazon link, if it's okay with you, and just place it in my, uh, add it as one of my books recommendations oh. to read, if it's okay with you. Thank you so much. It's more than okay. I, I, you know, I'm honored and, and, and I really appreciate you doing that and referring people to it that you think are appropriate and just putting it out there on your website though, so people can have access to it. So thank you so much for doing that oh no thank you sir for i received that and i and i have gratitude i express gratitude for you because i can see clearly your passion in this and the way that you just so well so eloquently articulated you know <laughs> what to do and where to find it at and how you go through, like that's this is really important information i can tell that you're the real deal you now if you've been out here for a minute, you said you how many how many shows have you been on? By the way, can can you tell the people how many shows you've been on? Uh, I quit, I, you know, Harry. I quit keeping count of it. I did that for a while, and then I think when I got over a hundred, I quit. So I probably have done close to maybe a hundred and fifty uh, interviews on this topic in the last uh, in, in since it's probably been eight or nine months. But yeah, well over a hundred and fifty of them. So I know that you know what I mean when I say this. As I'm branching out there into this space, I'm encountering the difference between myself 
in industry folk who are parading around as experts, you know, in the field, yeah. but memorize just enough to sell people because they're not, they're not trying to teach anything. It's already been printed out. They're not going to teach anything and whatever answers they have is going to come from a script. But there's a lot of industry folk that are trying to move into the mental wellness field because they see money because people are becoming aware of it. Yeah. The way that you just spoke and the way that you just flowed, it let me know that you're the real deal. Like I knew that you were the real deal based off of what I read already, because you're not going to stay, you're not going to deal with, with adolescents for, for over two decades and, and not care about that. I did that for three months and I was out. I did family. I went, it was going in homes of families impoverished families roughly for about three months and the dynamics of the house, the disparity of hopelessness. I'm a deep empath. It was just, was not a healthy environment for me. God bless you for what you do. It just was, I couldn't deal with it, you know? And then the addictions part of it. And then the incarcerated individual who's, you know, who's not present, like all of these variables and dealing with the parent to help them adopt a healthy mindset. It's, it's really a struggle. It's really a challenge. And so I know when people are serious, like when they come up on, on this stage, I know when people are serious, I know when people mean what they say and say what they mean, because that's how I move. And so you, sir, are looking rather familiar. So I'm just saying you're the real deal. I appreciate that. Well, it is a challenge, as you so aptly put it, but uh, it is also very rewarding. I have uh, I have seen a number of of children come through Menninger Clinic. They come in, they're angry, they're fighting, they don't want to be there. They're trying to negotiate with their parents out of coming into the hospital, and then I watch them over a period of weeks gradually get involved in the therapeutic process, begin to get involved in group and individual therapy, and. And, uh, and it's and it's really a blessing to see how they evolve and change. Now, many of them were referred to longer term residential care because they had very serious underlying mental health issues. And some of them I've heard back from and the, and the success stories have been really great. They've, they've gone on, they've completed treatment. Uh, one young lady uh, went through, completed college, graduated from college. So it is a blessing and, and very rewarding in a lot of cases too. It is challenging. It can, mm -hmm. it can really test you, but also it can be very rewarding as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, what do you say to those parents who feel like they've exhausted every single possible resource to address their child's addiction? Well, from the very beginning, uh, when you first discover your child is using a substance, from that point on, parents need help. Parents need resources. Parents need a support system. All too often, we focus on the kid. That becomes the emergency. That becomes the crisis. And, and we forget that the parent, the entire family, uh, as you know, is affected by a child using a substance. It's not just the child. It's the entire family system is disrupted and, and thrown into crisis. And many times, parents are dealing with this all the way from first finding out about it to going through the assessment to going through treatment, sometimes multiple times, they often neglect themselves. So my message to parents is get 
a support system around yourself. Maybe it's another family friend. Maybe it's a close friend. Maybe it's a a psychologist, a social worker, a counselor, somebody that can be there to, to be your support system. And maybe it's a mental health support group system. But parents need help and support too, because this is not a quick fix. This is not something that's going to get resolved in one or two weeks. This is going to be an ongoing process before, during, and after treatment. So you need and deserve as a parent to have a good support system built around you. Yes. If they've gone to the support systems, but the child or or the the adult, you know, child or adult that's addicted to the substances, they're still in the house impacting the unit. How do you deal with that? Like how wh- wh- what would you suggest to a sibling in that space that that may be being ignored? Because, of course, the squeaky all the squeaky will is the one that gets the grease. Right. And so yeah. now the family is caving in and looking at this one individual who appears to be ill while others get neglected. And that often and that often is the case, sadly. All of the attention, all of the effort goes to the child that's abusing the substance. If there's substances or if there's uh, siblings in the in the family, they sort of fall by the wayside. So parents need to know the message that the entire family system is affected, the entire family system will will need treatment. The message is one that I think is very clear. It's not just the child that's abusing the substance needs treatment, the entire family needs treatment. Mm. And and I think that's the message that I would give to parents. Your family needs treatment just as much as the child who's affected by drugs. Mm. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I will definitely be redirecting some parents to this specific episode when it is produced so that they can get these jewels, man, because you dropping them today. You drop them. So So for the sibling, all right, let's say a young sibling, right, that can't escape. What would you say to the sibling that may be in, in middle or high school that can't escape the, you know, again, the, I know you were the focus on the parents here and maybe the focus still back on the parents and getting the child to speak to the parents, maybe. But what do you say to the sibling that just can't escape because they don't have any options right now, but to continue to go to school in that environment? I, I, I think the parents have to focus some attention on that sibling. I think they have to have conversations with that sibling. And, and, and by that, I don't mean the kind of conversation where we're just listening to words. You know, uh, Harry, we're, we're pretty good at hearing each other's words, but we're not so good at hearing the feelings behind the words. So parents need to have the conversation with that young man or that young woman who's a sibling. Listen to their feelings. Listen to how they're sounding. You know, engage in a in a in an inquisitive type of conversation. You know, if there's if they're picking up things from that sibling that that might be troublesome, so sit down with that child and and, and do it from an inquiring point of view. I'm seeing these behaviors from you. Can you help me understand why I'm seeing them? And see if you can engage that sibling in a discussion as to how they're feeling about it everything that's going on in the family. Now, that's probably not going to happen in the first conversation, but if you stay after it and you focus on feelings, not just words, chances are that child will open up at some point and begin to talk to you about how they're how they're dealing with this and how they're feeling about it. Oh. So 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 as a parent, don't give up. Keep working at it. It's a real challenge for families. 
Yeah. Yeah. What would you recommend? What type of facility? Where would they reach out to these families for support? Well, I think they could start, first of all, with NAMI, the National Mental Health Alliance that offers a lot of programs and services for families and, and, and adolescents and tremendous support groups. And I, and I think it's one of the best programs out there. They could also, you know, get referrals for support groups, therapy groups from, from their school counselor, from from their individual therapist or, or not therapist, but their individual uh, physician. So there's a lot of resources out there. I have a I have a number of them listed in my book on resources. Many of them are national in uh, in, in scope, but a lot of them have local uh, chapters. So I would begin probably by looking at mental health associations, mental health support groups within my geographical area. Yes, thank you for that, sir. You know it's weird being a host and and asking people questions, especially when it comes down to areas that overlap, right? And so in my private practice, I actually have a page that's called Helpful Links, and it has those same resources that you spoke about and other specific things. And I even labeled it based off a title. If you know, you have a family member suffering or you suffer from bipolar disorder, anxiety disorders, complex PTSD, PTSD, military combat. Like it's, you know, there's so many resources out there. And I think that it's, it's important to encourage families not to give up you know, that, that you, you have to continue to, to fight. I heard you say that earlier, emphasize that earlier, the importance of resilience, you know, about enduring through this, you know, and, and, and eventually it sounds, if they are enduring, I'm assuming that you're encouraging them to endure so that eventually there'd be a breakthrough. Yeah. You know, my message is one of hope. You know, we know treatment will work. It is not an easy process. It is not a quick process, but we do know that people get through and families get through this process. And there are, as you pointed out, there are tremendous resources that are available out there. I think part of the problem is families don't know about these resources. Mm -hmm. So anything that we can do to give them access to these resources so that they can follow up, I think is going to be a tremendous service and, and, and help for them. Yes. Yes. And so let me do, let me, let me go at it at a different angle for a second here and ask your suggestion on this, because oftentimes we talk about those that need help or healing. And of course, because they are the focus, right. You know, healers come in to, to, to do their healing, you know, guide those who are guides come in to, to guide others, to help in guiding. What do you have to say about, you know, is, are there any changes you would like to see within the mental health or, or substance abuse field regarding practitioners, you know, be it psychiatrists, psychologists, just everybody? I'm not trying to call out one profession or nothing like that. Not not asking you to specify one profession, but is there any are there any changes that you would recommend moving forward in the substance abuse field that you would like to see? I think the biggest change I would like to see, and I think we could do this very well in the schools is to take more of a neuroscience approach to substance abuse to help kids stay away from drugs. You know, this don't do drugs, it's illegal, you know, you're you're not going to get anywhere. Kids don't believe that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, the, you know, it doesn't do me any good as a, as a counselor uh, or it doesn't do a parent very much good to to tell their kid, you know, drugs are bad, drugs are illegal, you shouldn't do them. You're you're not going to get anywhere if you do. They don't believe that stuff. So, what does work? Here's what works. Here's what I found works is the neuroscience approach. 
kids are interested in learning about their brain. They want to know. They're curious. They want to know how their brain works. So my approach would was to not lecture them, but opened up their mind to the neuroscience. I would show them how the brain worked. I would show them different areas of the brain and what they were responsible for. This area is responsible for coordination. This one helps you see. This one helps you think. And then I would show them where marijuana attaches itself to the brain. And they could immediately see how marijuana affects different areas of the brain and how it affected them. That was very mm. powerful. So this neuroscience approach captures their attention. I would start at a very young age, elementary school, by, by teaching kids about the brain. This is what your brain is. This is what it does. This is why it's important. This is why you need to protect it. And then as they get into junior high and high school, I would introduce, because they already know about the brain now, you've taught them about that. I would then start to introduce how do drugs affect the brain. And this is not just a one hit or miss type of thing. This is something that should begin in elementary school with educating them about the brain. And then when they get into the higher grades, junior high and high school, begin to introduce how drugs can negatively affect the brain. That will make an impact. Look, I know you weren't doing it for the, for, for, the, for the applause, but I have to say brilliant, real, recognize, real. Have you heard that phrase before, sir? What's that? Real, recognize, real. I haven't heard that one. You haven't, you've been around adolescents. You haven't heard the phrase real recognizes real. I've heard a lot of from adolescents, but that's not one of them. They dropped on me. Okay. They just wasn't cool enough. Well, let me tell you something. <laughs> real recognize real represents those who live by a code, recognize other principled people who live, who live by a code and who oh, actually okay. are authentic. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I say to you, sir, real recognize real. And you're looking quite familiar. The thing that you just said about beginning in elementary school. I love, this is why I love bringing on guests and I've been looking for, you know, energies where I can have this synergy with, right? Who have similar passion. And I say often, I said, you know, we go through the school, formal schooling system, beginning with uh, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, on through until we have go to 12th grade. And depending on how successfully we've completed each one of these levels, depends on how we pass, if we pass. So have we learned the information that is required on that level? And then eventually, if we learned enough, we make it through 12th grade and then we have a graduation. And the very word graduation can be seen as a combination of the words gradual indoctrination because you've been gradually indoctrinated into the American society and, you know, what to expect as an adult. But we do know that the schooling system is still operating under the industrial age rules of teaching people to be factory workers. And so critical thinking, substance abuse, mental wellness and emotional intelligence, kids aren't taught that, you know. And so because of this, we got to hope that after the suffering comes in, that they come in and, and take advantage of it because that pain then stirs people to seeking an answer of something that they always needed but never really knew. Yeah. And so anyway, I, I say that to say that I believe that from, from kindergarten, from preschool, we should be teaching people about mental health and mental wellness as yes. well as substance abuse. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, and, it, and, it, and it should be reinforced every year all the way through high school. Oh, it's not something you do in assembly, you know, once a year. It needs to be incorporated within the curriculum and reinforced and expanded every single year through high school. 
and, and apparently some courses aren't working. Like, I don't know if they still do civics, but with, with less than 50% of people voting in the United States population, I think either that has to be grossly revamped or, or completely eradicated altogether. I mean, just send everybody some pamphlets and let them choose, you know, yeah. but we have to be intentional about what the future generations and the current generations, the information that we have access to, like letting people know that there is this information, this information is there and then making it damn near impossible for people to get past without knowing that it's there. Yeah, and the best exactly. way to do that is through the formal education system. I agree. That's that's absolutely right. All right, sir. Is there anything, any other advice? I mean, you, you've you been dropping jewels all day, man. I'm going to have to, you know, just send me the bill and I will make sure <laughs> that I will, I will send you at least half of it. At least half of it I will send you. <laughs> <laughs> you send me half the bill. Hey, that's better than nothing. You know, that's, that's better than nothing. Uh, I, I would <laughs> say, so? I would say, and this is probably the subject for an entire session, but Parents do need to be concerned about what's out there on the street. You know, as I was sharing with you before the, we got going here, there's been a tremendous surge in vaping among among adolescents. Mm-hmm. And parents need to know about that. And, you know, three years ago, for example, the percentage of of, of high school seniors that, that were vaping marijuana was 9%. Today, it's 22%. Mm. Uh, the percentage that were uh, vaping nicotine three years ago uh, was 18%. It's 34% now. So parents need to know about this stuff. They need to know about how available these drugs are. That, I think that would be shocking to a lot of parents on on how easy it is for these kids to get drugs, and they know it. And 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 how how teenagers do not look at these drugs as being very harmful. When when we ask high school seniors, high school seniors, how harmful is it to for you uh, to smoke marijuana regularly? Regularly, only thirty percent think it's harmful. So parents need to be aware of this stuff. Not be paranoid about it, but just be educated and knowledgeable about it. Yes. So, so I thank you for helping me get that word out there. No, thank you for your passion and continuing your work. Because Lord knows you earned a retirement. All the stuff that you that that I know that we didn't speak on that you've seen. Because again, we our fields overlap, and that family unit is so central. You know, when I was employed as a mental health clinician in the in, in the prison. Working with the family also was a responsibility of the social workers, you know, as as a profession. And that's also I, I believe that there if there's going to be changes in in the mental health field, a therapists are grossly underpaid. Insurances, insurance company jerks uh, therapists around to the extent that they still have to, myself included at times uh, or at times in the past, myself included, have to work and and see an exhausting amount of sessions in order just to make ends meet because the rates are negotiated so far down and insurance companies won't pay out. Then there's the issues of actually contacting payments that you don't get. And so, and then there's the, just the environmental impact of, of being a therapist and being in the trenches, like being in that environment, you know, not just, I'm not talking about just prison. I'm talking about, you know, just general, you, you saw, you know, you said yourself, you know, the frustration that some of the therapists and social workers would exhibit after dealing with some of these families. 
we we had to make the phone calls when people die at the prison. You know, it's usually a social worker that speaks to the family in the hospital. Someone ODs or dies from something, you know. And so I, I want y'all to understand the immense work that social workers do in this country. I know when I was younger, I thought social workers, all they did was like snatch people, children up. <laughs> but now that I'm a social worker, I understand that, no, we don't do that at all. Like, I mean, well, you know, there's, there's protective services, of course, CPS, yeah. Children Protective Services. And so, yes, they address that. But the field of social work uh, is is so wide and we that we can fit in pretty much anywhere. Military combat, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. therapist, PTSD treatment. Yeah. And so... I just want to say to to those help workers out there, you know, I, I know me and you, we're dialoguing, but I want to say to them that that we need to start advocating for ourselves, too. We need we need better pay. We need better treatment, you know, especially if we're going to be given the trench work. If they're going to give us if every single institution we go into is going to give us the responsibility of calling families and talking to people when people are dead or, or, or have died you know, time and time and time again, knowing what that does to the human psyche, we deserve better treatment too. And so what changes I would like to see in the mental health field is that we be treated better as helpers. I think that's very well said. Very well said. Thank you so much. So is there anything else you would like to say to the people before we leave, sir? No, I think I hope they they learned a lot from our conversation, from from your input and my input. And and I would just encourage every parent, uh, grandparent, aunt, uncle, family member who's out there listening that, you know, this is a topic that I don't want you to become paranoid about. I don't want you to become afraid of, but I don't want you to avoid either. Knowledge is power. Like I said early, learn as much as you can. Feel empowered that if you are in this situation that you can deal with it. Or if you have a friend or a relative who's struggling with it, you can be a good resource for them too. So yes, I'd like everybody to buy my book, but more importantly, I want people to learn about this, be educated about it, and feel confident and hopeful, hopeful that if they're in this situation, they and their family can get through it. Again, I say, sir, real recognize is real and you are looking quite familiar thank you so much sir for your service for your passion and for your message and for putting putting in the labor to produce this book because people will see the book but they don't see the labor that went into it and the experience and the tears and so please if, if you're if you're going to support you know, there's a lot of information out there in the in the mental health uh, field, especially regarding substance abuse. But if you're going to support any individual, if you're trying to figure out who should I go to to get this information, go with the people that have done the trench work, that have poured out sweat, blood, and tears to get this this information, this knowledge. Not only knowledge, but knowledge through experience. I appreciate you being on the show, brother. You know, thank you, thank Harry. you so much. Seriously, it's- like for real, I'm gonna stay in touch, and I'm definitely gonna promote the book, man. Please do. And please do stay in touch. And and thank you so much, Harry, for taking the time to talk to me and for contributing to the discussion in such an important and meaningful way. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Well, y'all, y'all had it. We had Mr. Richard Capriola on here, licensed chemical dependency counselor with, with decades of experience, and he has the scars to prove it. And I just, I'm so grateful for this episode because I was you know, able to to 
be curious, you know, and, and there's other episodes that I've had, of course, I always bring curiosity to all of my, my episodes, but this one in particular, you know, we stand on the shoulders of giants. And so, you know, I always pay respect to, to the elders. And so with that experience that he has in the industry, it, for me, that represents that he is my elder from a, a experiential standpoint in this, in this field. And so, I definitely wanted to just pave the way and let him be heard because these jewels that he dropped today are going to be useful today, tomorrow, and in the future, especially about the remodeling of our institutions, our formal schooling institutions, so that we begin to educate kids so that you prepare them. The last thing I'll say is that, you know, you can buy some of these drugs like painkillers right from the gas station. You know, your kid doesn't have to go to any corner. They can go to the gas station and they just buy it by the boatload, buy it in bulk, and then mix it up and then drink it. You know, there's all types of craziness, poisons. There's all types of ways for people to, for kids to, to poison themselves. What I want to say is that even though you can't be with your child every moment of every day, the best thing that you can give your child, the best way you can arm and protect your children is with the truth. You know, in the flu, I know this this may get your emotions of, of maybe COVID and the pandemic out of this when I say this. But for the flu, you know, they they inject the three predicted most prominent, the three strands they predict to be the most prominent for the season. They when you get the flu shot, they inject you from my understanding, unless they change the protocol. Again, I'm not a doctor, so I'm speaking as a layperson, but they inject you with strands of the virus. Right. And so that just a little bit of it so that your body begins to build up the antibodies because it, it recognizes it when it's a full on assault, when it was not intentional. So when the, when you actually come in contact with that flu virus, your body can recognize it and remember how it defeated it the first time when it was injected and then do it again and replicate that activity. The best thing that you can do to arm your kids is to give them the truth. The unadoctorated, if it's ugly, let it be ugly. The ugly truth, but the truth is, is, is not ugly. It's beautiful. You know, when you really dig deep enough on surface, it may seem ugly, but that truth then allows us to be free from our own ignorance. And like my brother said, you know, knowledge is power. And I always say ignorance and freedom can coexist. So if you inoculate your children with the truth, when they come face to face with some of these happenings, these interactions with other kids, other adolescents who are experienced and are, are suffering that addiction, they already know how to respond, you know? So please educate your children. Ignorance and freedom cannot coexist. And please, please, please go out and purchase my brother's book. You know, Richard Capriola, you know, just bless you. Thank you. Mad gratitude. And thank y'all for listening to this amazing episode of Is That So? So agape and stay lit. Do you tell your time what to do or does your time tell you what to do? Are you living or are you merely existing? Are you constantly reacting or are you responding to life? Mixed beliefs create confusion and confusion creates a life of stagnation. Desire change? Visit www.becomeanoutlier.com slash about. That is www.becomeano U-T-L-I-E-R becomingoutlier.com slash about A-B-O-U-T to start your journey. 
Stay tuned for more episodes and keep listening to the nocturnal therapist himself, Harry Turner. Thank you.